0: 69. To mention only a few of the more prominent ones, while the patient is yet able to go around, the disease manifests itself by occasional pain in the bowels, stomach, and chest. Often there is a hacking cough, nervousness, lassitude, and a generally enfeebled condition of the whole system. The patient is easily fatigued, there is apparent loss of vitality, impaired appetite, a feeling of tightness across the stomach and chest, gradually declining health and loss of flesh and strength, torpidity of the liver, deficient secretions, constipation, and morbid excretions from the kidneys, the victim, in passing chairs, tables, and other objects, instinctively places his hands upon them, and, as the disease progresses, when standing, leans upon some support whenever possible, in walking, he moves very carefully and cautiously, with elbows thrown back and chest forward, to assist the body in keeping its equilibrium, the body being kept in an upright position. The patient bends the knees rather than the back in stooping, as illustrated in Figure 5, and the body is frequently supported by the hands being placed upon the thighs or knees. Sudden movements or shocks cause more or less pain. The development of the disease then becomes rapid, suffering increases, and pain about the joints and lower extremities and muscles of the posterior part of the pelvis is experienced, numbness and coldness of the extremities are felt, locomotion becomes more difficult, and a slight projection is observed upon the back, even in the somewhat advanced stage of the disease, when the symptoms are so apparent, many cases are shamefully neglected because an ignorant advisor says it is nothing serious and that the patient will outgrow it, the pain and tenderness not always being in the back, the inexperienced are very often misled as to the true character of the trouble. This distortion or deformity of the back now becomes painfully prominent, the diseased vertebrae quickly soften and waste away, the pressure upon the spinal cord increases, and paralysis of the limbs supervenes, the power of locomotion is lost, and, at last, the danger is realized and the struggle for life begins. Thus, through ignorance, neglect, and improper treatment, the poor, helpless victim is doomed to a life of hideous deformity and suffering. We would, therefore, Urge upon parents whose children are afflicted with this terrible disease, the great importance of placing them under the care of surgeons who have for many years made the treatment of such cases a specialty, and who have every facility and all necessary surgical appliances for ensuring success in every case undertaken. Treatment. The great essentials for the successful treatment of disease and deformities of the spine are first, a thorough knowledge of the structure and parts involved by the disease, secondly, The adjustment of mechanical appliances perfectly adapted to the requirements and necessities of each individual case, and the proper use of our system of vitalization applied to the spinal muscles to strengthen the weaker and relieve the undue contraction of the stronger. For many years our specialists have experimented and have given the various appliances in common use in these cases most thorough and practical tests and have found them very defective, being generally constructed upon wrong principles. The physician who sends to a mechanic for an appliance, such as are now made in the shops of most instrument makers, and uses the same, is doing himself an injustice, and barbarously torturing his patient by forcing him to wear an apparatus which is heavy, clumsy, and inevitably injurious, instead of being beneficial in its results, in the treatment of diseases and deformities of the spine, there should be no compromising, the appliance that fails to give complete support should not be worn. In our treatment of these maladies we employ only appliances which are constructed under the personal supervision of our specialists, upon principles dictated by common sense and the actual necessities of the case. We do not confine the body in an iron jacket. Our apparatus is light, yet durable, and is worn by the most delicate children without pain or inconvenience. It gives proper support to all parts, and is so nicely adjusted as to produce pressure only upon those points which should receive support leaving the muscles of the spine freedom of action, thereby assisting in their development. In many hundreds of cases treated by our specialists, the disease has been entirely cured and the deformity removed. After seeing the patients and adjusting the appliances, they can generally be treated at their homes. Lateral curvature of the spine, crooked back. This deformity appears more frequently in anemic persons, in whom the flexibility and elasticity of the muscles are weakened, than in those of a plethoric habit. It is generally contracted during youth. Between the ages of 12 and 18, persons of sedentary and indolent habits are especially liable to this deformity. Hence, girls are most frequently its victims. It is never seen among the natives of tropical countries who habitually live in the open air, and seldom among the barbarous races of northern latitudes. A distinguishing feature of the American Indian is his erect carriage. The primary curvature is generally toward the right side as represented in figures 6 and 7. Figures 8 and 9 show the disease in a more advanced stage. The ribs are thus forced into an unnatural position, and the vital organs contained in the cavity of the chest are compressed or displaced, thus distorting the form of the whole upper portion of the body. Symptoms The first indication of lateral curvature of the spine is a marked projection of the right scapula, or shoulder blade. It is sometimes first observed by the dressmaker, or, accidentally, while bathing, The right shoulder is slightly elevated, while the left hip is depressed and projects upward. If not corrected while in its earlier stages, it progresses very rapidly, and a second curvature is developed. The symptoms vary in different cases, and in the early stages are somewhat obscure and indefined, but generally the patient feels a sense of uneasiness, languor, stupor, and nervousness, loss of energy and ambition, general debility, poor appetite, gradually declining health, Loss of strength and flesh, and, as the disease progresses, a slight elevation of one of the shoulder blades is noticed, as well as the deviation of the spine to a one side. The curve, or distortion, of the spine increases more rapidly as the body becomes heavier, the spine often assuming the shape of the letter S and, from compression by torsion of the vertebrae and distortion of the ribs, the vital organs are encroached upon, causing serious functional derangement of the heart, lungs, liver, and stomach, producing, as its inevitable consequence a list of maladies fearful to contemplate, causes, in rare instances, the lateral curvature of the spine is due to defects of certain bones of the pelvis or limbs, cases are recorded in which this deformity was caused by diseases of the abdominal organs, but, as we have intimated, it is generally due to a lack of tonicity of the muscles, or, as a late writer has expressed it, Want of correspondence in the antagonism of those muscles which control the motions of the spinal column, habitual sitting or standing in a leaning posture, or standing upon one foot, thus constantly using one set of the muscles of the back, while the other becomes enfeebled by the lack of exercise, is a common cause of this deformity. The habit which so many schoolgirls contract of drawing up one foot under the body while sitting, often produces a lateral curvature of the spine. Treatment no disease or deformity of the spine is so easily cured and perfectly corrected if the proper plan of treatment is pursued to correct this deformity many ingenious forms of apparatus have been devised and invented by our specialists which should be carefully adjusted to each individual case in addition to this our method of treatment by by and by mechanical movements and manipulations is almost indispensable in these cases it never fails to give relief and if properly pursued, invariably results in a permanent cure, Deformed feet, hands and limbs, there are thousands whose feet, hands, and limbs are almost entirely useless, besides having an insightly appearance, their condition has been helpless so long, their treatment so varied, and their hopes of relief or cure have been so often disappointed, that few can believe the truth of our statement, when we positively assert that we can correct and cure nearly all cases of club or crooked feet and deformed hands, and make them as perfect in appearance, and as full in action, as feet and hands which have never been deformed, while this may seem miraculous, or even impossible, to those who are unacquainted with the wonderful improvements and rapid progress made in this department of surgical science, it is attested and verified by living witnesses whose feet and hands were once deformed and useless, but which have been made perfect by our new and improved method of treatment. We do not make these statements in a spirit of vain boastfulness, but having devoted many years to improving and perfecting surgical appliances and apparatus, and having had practical experience in the successful treatment of thousands of cases, we do say that our manner of treatment is original and employed only by us. We entirely ignore the ineffectual methods usually employed in such cases. Our treatment causes no pain, and little inconvenience, yet the curative results are speedy and certain and a hundredfold more satisfactory than those obtained by any other course. We have most thoroughly tested all the best forms of treatment heretofore devised and employed in this class of diseases, and have adopted the best features of all the various methods heretofore pursued. We have combined these with our own improvements and, as the result, we have perfected a thorough and efficient system of treatment, based upon scientific principles. Illustration, Figure 22 The above illustrations represent various deformities cured by our specialists at the Invalids Hotel and Surgical Institute. Mechanical aids in the treatments of chronic diseases, we have, in different parts of this work, referred to a large variety of ingeniously devised machinery and apparatus employed at the Invalids Hotel and Surgical Institute, in the treatment of chronic diseases, although we can, on paper, give but a meager idea of the variety and adaptability of these valuable mechanical appliances, yet we will endeavor to illustrate and explain a few of our machines for the application of transmitted motion. Figure 1 represents a machine, called the manipulator, which transmits motion through suitable attachments, which are adjustable by means of the ratchet, so as to reach all parts of the body. It is equally available for applying motion to the head, feet, or any intermediate part of the body. B.B.R. rubbing attachments, with two opposing elastic, adherent surfaces, between which an arm or a leg may be included, these have alternate reciprocating action from the rock shaft, and are made to approach each other, and press the included part at the will of the patient, this is sometimes called the double rubber, and is made detachable if desired, is the lever, by which the two parts of the double rubber are made to compress the arm or leg, is a single attachment for rubbing. It may be connected at either side of the machine, so as to present the rubbing surface in four different directions. As may be most convenient, it will act perpendicularly, horizontally, or diagonally, and from below or from above the part receiving the action. According to requirements, the shank of the rubber may have any special form to suit special cases, is the foot holder? It communicates to the leg the semi-rotary or oscillating motion of the rock shaft. It may be attached to either end of the rock shaft is the hand holder, which, grasped by the hand, communicates motion to the arm, shoulder, and chest, or the hand may be inserted passively, when the effect of motion is more confined to the hand and forearm, in the position shown in figure 2, by means of the single rubber attachment, the manipulator acts upon the upper portion of the trunk, neck, head, and arms, by means of the hand holder, upon the arms, by means of the double rubber, upon the arms, shoulders, and scalp, when the acting part or head is lowered to its extreme limit, the machine occupies the least space, in this position, by means of the foot holder, it communicates oscillation to the legs, by means of the single rubber, it acts upon the feet, ankles, and lower leg, by means of the double rubber, it acts upon the legs, including the feet, the patient either sitting or lying, in all of these applications of motion, Energy travels from inanimate to animate matter, non-vital contributes to vital energy, and the various processes through which vital power is developed are promoted and carried forward in a degree till the point which constitutes health is attained. The name, manipulator, is very naturally applied to the instrument, the action of which resembles so much that of the living operator. It island however, impossible for the unaided hand to impart the degree of rapidity necessary to secure the effects easily attained by this machine and, practically, restoration is often secured in cases in which it is quite unattainable by any other remedial agent, motion, transmitted by the manipulator, exerts a curative effect in all chronic affections, and is not limited, as is sometimes supposed, to paralytic affections and deformities, in these latter affections it is a great assistance in effecting a cure, while, in chronic affections, whatever the local symptoms, it supplies the additional energy which is indispensable for recovery in all diseases of long-standing. Mode of Operation Figure 4 represents the manipulator in operation. The machine is propelled by steam power at the Invalid's Hotel and Surgical Institute, but may be worked by hand. As here represented, one arm is inserted between the double rubbing pads, which are raised to about the height of the shoulders. The patient being seated at the side of the machine, the other hand is placed on the lever and as much pressure is applied as is perfectly agreeable. Care being taken to diminish the pressure at any part which is unusually sensitive. All portions of the arm from the shoulder down are successively included in the rubbers, while a suitable degree of reciprocating or rubbing action is obtained by giving motion to the wheel. To apply the same operation to the other arm, the patient may either turn in his seat or change his position to the opposite side of the machine. If any portion of the extremity is affected with inflammation or swelling, It is necessary to apply the action described to the whole of the unaffected portion first, after this the affected part may be beneficially operated on, provided that the sensations are strictly heated, and that it is so managed that only a comfortable feeling is produced. In figure 5, the patient is so seated beside the machine that he can insert one tie between the pads of the rubber, and also control the lever with the hand. It is sometimes more convenient to suspend a movable weight from the lever, while the machine is running. He can withdraw the leg gradually, as each portion receives its proper amount of action, till the whole, including the foot, becomes glowing with the effect. The boot or shoe affords no impediment to the effect, and should remain on. Sometimes, especially in the beginning, or when the feet are habitually cold, it is better to apply the action only from the knees down. The rubbing pad D may be attached to either side of the machine, according to convenience or effect sought. The action derived from the right end of the rock shaft is much less severe than that from the left, on account of the shape of the rubber appendage, and at the beginning should be used in preference. In figure 6, the patient sits on an ordinary stool, or, if feeble, in a chair, and presents any portion of the chest or abdomen to the action of the rubber. The instrument is raised or lowered to suit convenience, while the patient gently presses portions of the trunk successively upon the rubbing pad. The degree of the effect is thus always under the absolute control of the one receiving the action. This operation, like the preceding, produces great heat, reddens the skin, relieves pain, and greatly stimulates the functions, not only of the skin, but of the organs contained in the cavities of the chest and the abdomen. The same operation may be applied also to the legs while the patient is standing. In figure 7, the back is presented to the action of the rubbing pad. The action will, if desired, be made to a reach from the neck to the hips, and even to the thighs. All sensitive portions of the back should at first be omitted, in order that they may be benefited by the counter irritation or drawing away of the blood. This is easily produced by those familiar with the use of the machine. The rubbing of the back should be deferred till the close of each application, in order that the spinal centers may be relieved of hyperemia, or excessive blood. The machine, as represented by figure 8, is brought to the desired elevation about as high as the shoulders, and the hand holder is attached. One arm is extended horizontally, and the hand grasps the hand holder, while rapid motion is given by turning the wheel. An alternate twisting motion is communicated to the arm, which causes corresponding pressure and relaxation of all the soft tissues of the limb. Combined with slight rubbing or attrition, the action is increased by contracting the muscles, and also by grasping at greater distance from the center. Both hands may grasp at the same time, or the two sides may receive the motion in turn. The effect is similar to that of the rubbing before described, but it is less limited. By grasping firmly, it may extend to the whole chest. The foot holder is attached, as shown in figure 9, and brought by the means before described to a position to receive one foot at a comfortable elevation, the leg being extended, while the patient is seated in an ordinary chair in an easy position. The action is precisely like that above described as applied to the arm, and extends to the thigh and pelvis. If the knee is slightly flexed, the action is almost entirely confined to the lower leg. Each leg may be operated on in turn. Mode of applying mechanical movements to very feeble invalids. Experience demonstrates that no degree of feebleness excludes the beneficial use of these operations. Invalids too weak to stand, or able to help themselves in the least degree are often treated with perfect success. A judicious use of the manipulator always increases nutrition and strength without any fatigue or exhaustion. However feeble the patient may be, it is only necessary to provide for these cases additional conveniences, so that the applications can be made in the recumbent position, and also that proper intervals of rest be allowed between successive operations. For this purpose couches are provided, each containing a certain portion of the manipulator. These are operated by means of a short connecting rod joining the rock shafts of the two pieces of mechanism. As shown in figure 10, the vibrator has two small discs, or heads acting through an opening in the couch on which the invalid rests. These impinge with a rapid, direct stroke upon the portion of the body exposed to the action. The top of the couch is adjustable, and is quickly placed at the elevation which secures the proper force of the instrument. As shown in figure 11, by simply turning and moving the body, The patient brings any part in contact with the vibrating discs. The cut represents the vibrator, in which the force impinges at right angles with the surface of the body, sending waves of motion through its substance. The rubbing which is shown in figures 4 and may 5 be applied to all parts of the body in a recumbent position. A couch is required of similar construction to the vibrating couch, but with a rubbing pad instead of vibrating heads acting through the opening and operated by appropriate connections. As shown in figure 12. The top is adjustable, and the degree of effect desired is capable of easy regulation. The patient turns different portions of the body to the action of the rubber as required. Kneading. Kneading is a process applied chiefly to the abdomen. The purpose of this operation is to increase nutrition, the muscular power and action of the abdominal walls, and the function of the organs which they contain. Three modes of applying this operation by the mechanical apparatus are in use, effected by the direct, the rotary and the revolving neater, the direct neater, this resembles in form and action the vibrating instrument shown in figure 11, the impinging heads, however, are made broader, the motion greater in extent, and the rate of motion less than one-tenth of that employed for the purpose of vibrating, the slowness of motion seems to increase the action of the muscles, the rotary neater, the action of the kneading heads in this form of apparatus, as shown in figure 13, is inward and upward alternately and it is eminently well calculated to stimulate the action of the abdominal organs, the revolving kneader, in the form of kneading apparatus, shown in figure 14, two thick rollers, which move freely on axes at the extremities of arms, projecting on either side of a shaft turned by a crank or belt, are made to act alternately upon each side of the abdomen, in the methods of kneading above described. The degree of force acting on the body is governed by an arrangement for elevating or depressing the upholstered top of the couch upon which the patient rests, and through which the action is transmitted to the body. If this form of apparatus is driven at a rate ten times more rapidly than is desired for kneading, the effect is vibratory, and if island in fact, used for that purpose. The cure of swellings and tumors, the application of motion through the manipulator promotes absorption and thus all kinds of swellings and non-malignant tumors are made to diminish under its use. In these cases the vessels of the affected part are distended with stagnant blood, and a portion of the fluid passates through their walls, distending the surrounding tissues, which become more or less hardened by the transmission of active motion to the affected parts. The contents of the vessels are urged forward, the outside fluids are thus permitted to return to the general circulation and become subject to the energetic vital action of the general system local deficiencies of oxidation being increased to the normal degree, causing destruction of morbid matter and giving place for new and wholesome nutritive materials for vital use. In short, normal functional activity is established, both locally and generally. Scrofulous, dropsical, rheumatic, and other local accumulations disappear, and even tumors are dispersed, by the use of the manipulator, in cases in which the knife would otherwise be required counter irritation and revulsion, artificial means have always been employed to produce an energetic flow of blood in different parts of the body, thereby relieving morbid distention of the vessels, and consequent irritation and pain in neighboring parts, cupping, hot applications, mustard, capsicum, blisters, and other irritants, are resorted to, but their effects, while generally very good in acute cases, are too transient to be of material aid in chronic affections, by the use of the manipulator, we can produce the most thorough revulsive effects, operating upon large surfaces, and causing large masses of muscle to receive an increased amount of blood, thus drawing it away from parts oppressed by too great a supply, constituting engorgement. No injury is done to the parts acted upon, on the contrary, they are strengthened by the application, which can be repeated as often as necessary till relief is permanent. Thus, the head, heart, Digestive organs, liver, chest, or whatever part is oppressed by excessive blood, may be speedily and permanently relieved, by means of this ability to relieve any part of the system from engorgement, and consequent inflammation and its results, are we enabled to permanently cure a large variety of chronic inflammatory, ulcerative, and nervous affections, local inflammations by this method of treatment may be spadily cured, cure of neuralgia. By the transmission of motion through the manipulator and other ingeniously devised apparatus and machinery, we increase the functional power and activity of the muscles, and thereby diminish morbid sensibility of the nerves, which is present in neuralgia. Prolonged and excessive nervous action is attended with too great a rush of blood to the nerve centers, which can only be relieved by increasing the flow in the muscles, congestion, or hyperemia, in the spinal cord or brain, or both is a condition ever present in neuralgia. The application of motion through the manipulator causes the blood to flow to the muscles, thus relieving nervous congestion and consequent neuralgia. Cure of paralysis. In no single disease has the transmission of motion through the manipulator proved more thoroughly efficacious than in paralysis. The most prominent requirements in these cases seem to be the following, excessive blood in the brain and spinal cord needs to be removed and diverted to parts in which it will be full instead of obstructive. The contractile power of the capillaries should be improved. The quality of nutritive fluids should be improved by the promotion of oxidation through increased circulation. These and many more wants of disordered nerves, are readily supplied by transmitted motion. The manipulator combines, in a single ingenious mechanical contrivance, the several movements best adapted for the promotion of healthy functional activity. Cure of deformities. Deformities arising from paralysis and contractions of muscles and tendons producing stiffened joints and distorted limbs, are of common occurrence. A rational explanation of the wonderful curative results which follow the employment of transmitted motion in these cases may not be without interest to the reader. The muscles are composed of bundles of little fibers which glide upon one another in every movement. Another set of fibers called connective tissue, holds the fibers together in bundles or separate muscles, and interlaces and crosses them in every direction. Now, If these fibers remain long in a fixed position, or are involved in inflammation, there is danger of adhesions forming between them, producing permanent immobility, gliding movements are interfered with, and the muscle ceases to perform its function. Inflammation gives rise to effusion, or the formation of a kind of cement which binds together the muscular fibers and prevents motion, rubbing, kneading, and actively manipulating the affected parts with that intensity of administration secured by the manipulator. Rends asunder and breaks up these minute adhesions, re-establishing gliding motions, causes absorption of its used materials, and restores the affected part to a normal condition. The deformed limb is straightened by the filling out of the muscle cells, and increasing the length and also the nutrition of the affected muscles. No pulling or forced extension is required. Deformity ceases when the conditions upon which it depends are removed by rational appliances, which are always agreeable. No brace. Splints. Or other confining appliances are necessary, except in rare cases in which the bones are very badly distorted, in withered and deformed limbs, resulting from infantile paralysis. The manipulator furnishes the most agreeable, direct, and certain remedy. It restores nutrition, sensation, and power, and dispenses almost wholly with mechanical supports club feet, rhinek, spinal curvature, hip joint disease, white swellings, and stiffened joints are all readily amendable to the curative effects of motion administered by the manipulator and other machinery. Contracted and shortened muscles are gradually lengthened by vigorous, long-continued, and frequently repeated rubbing with the manipulator across their longitudinal fibers, bound down and confined tendons are liberated and normal movements established. Diseases of women, uterine and ovarian congestion, chronic inflammation, discharges, morbid enlargement, prolapses. Antiversion and retroversion, and flexion and retroflexion, and other derangements of the womb and its appendages, are radically cured by the vibratory, rubbing, kneading, and other movements administered through the manipulator and other mechanical appliances employed at the Invalid's Hotel and Surgical Institute. To those who are tired of taking medicine, this mode of treatment commends itself as being both agreeable and efficient. There is no case too weak, nervous or helpless for the use of this curative agent, it is entirely devoid of objectionable features, being always applied outside the clothing, cause of female weakness, the true relations of cause and effect are very liable to be misunderstood, when considering the various diseases incident to the organs contained in the female pelvis, treatment intended to be remedial is therefore very often misdirected and fails to afford relief, positive injury frequently resulting instead, When the nature of these diseases is properly understood, their cure can be effected with comparative ease. These diseases are always attended with weakness, which is often very great, of the muscles that hold the diseased organs in position, the muscles forming the walls of the abdomen, and the diaphragm, or midriff, all of which are concerned in the act of respiration, become feeble and only partially perform their functions, in health, they act constantly, even during sleep. Producing a rhythmical movement, which is communicated to the contents of the abdominal and pelvic cavities. This motion promotes a healthy circulation in the parts. In almost all affections of the pelvic organs, this normal condition is greatly diminished. Diminution of the motions of respiration is attended with an increase of the amount of the blood in the pelvic organs, constituting an engorgement of the parts, called congestion or inflammation. This gives rise to enlargement of the womb, ulcerations, tumors and a multitude of kindred secondary effects, usually considered as the primary disease and treated as such, the contents of the cavity of the trunk, weigh in.